0: Let us all turn together to the Word of God. We're going to read from the book of Judges today. Judges chapter 13. We could look at every chapter of the Bible like the promises of God. Every one is precious. And this chapter has precious lessons for the child of God as well. Judges chapter 13, very important interval in the history of the Judges when we come to the story of Samson. Because uh, later on in the detail, You'll see that the Lord began. It's like a new chapter in the history. It's like a a new event, a new sequence begins. It was then that the Lord began to work uh, through his life. May the Lord have a good beginning for us today. It could be some individual here. Maybe you haven't really walked close enough to the Lord. This could be a new beginning. Perhaps somebody else listening to the gospel for many a long year haven't taken a step, the step that matters, to unite you with Christ. This could be the day of beginning, the beginning of the Christian life, the beginning of a walk with God. May the Lord hallow uh, our reading of this chapter and bless it to our hearts and even grant to the congregation here, in some sense, a new beginning. Verse 1 of chapter 13. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years and there was a certain man of Zora of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was Baran and Bear not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive. Bear a son. I therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink. And eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God. From the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. I asked him not whence he was, neither told told he me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine nor strong, drink nor eat, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, And the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, that man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. Manoah arose and after his wife, and came to the man, and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? How shall we do unto him? The angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Praise the Lord for the reading of His holy word and for the preaching of that word as well. Amen.
1: Amen. Judges chapter 13. We're thinking about another Christophany, just a couple to go after this morning especially the first seven verses, as the Lord appears to Manoah's wife, the mother of Samson. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to really speak into your hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we just pray now that the Spirit of God will fill this sanctuary Make thy presence known and felt and experienced. We pray that thou wilt open our hearts to the word of God. We pray that thou wilt speak through thy truth. And grant, O God, that thy name would be glorified and uplifted. I pray for the help of heaven, for the infilling of the Spirit of God. Hide me, Lord, behind the cross. And grant, O God, that every heart in this sanctuary, Lord, and those that are joining us, Lord, online, maybe from their home or maybe even from a hospital bed or some other place, we pray in Jesus' name that you will speak mightily and grant, O God, that all things will redound to the honor and glory of our God and our Savior. It's in Christ's name that we ask all of these things. Amen. Samson is undoubtedly one of the most unusual characters in all of Scripture. Scarcely is there a man in the Word of God that was given so much promise and so much potential. And yet with all that Samson accomplished and so much of it is commendable, it seems that so much of his life was wasted And so much of his potential was squandered. And so much of his ability and promise under God was never fully realized. There are many triumphs in the life of Samson, many victories. But sadly, Samson's life is also a testimony to tragedy and vice as well. There was so much need in the nation of Israel in the days in which Samson lived and he was raised up Uh, by God, to be a deliverer for the nation of Israel. But sadly and tragically, because of carelessness, because of failure, and sadly as well because of sin, Samson never really became the man that he could and should have been under God. And I believe that as we look at Samson, there are many parallels to Samson's life, and the evangelical church in the West in this regard. We live in a world, as we think of this nation of ours, we live in a a nation as well, there, there is so much need in it. Multitudes that are living and dying in their sins. Many that are bound by addiction and fear. Multitudes who know nothing of the gospel. And yet we live in a society where there are so, so many evangelical churches and evangelical witnesses and evangelical Christians and God has given us many, many promises that if we seek first the kingdom of God, that the Lord is able to add so much blessing unto us. And He has also promised the infilling of the Holy Spirit to all of His people and the evangelical church at large. And in spite of all of the promises that God has given us, and in spite of the calling of God in our lives, it seems that collectively that the church in this land has not reached her full potential under God. And sadly, it seems that in many places, the church has become careless and sleepy, and maybe as well as flirting with the world, and maybe more tragic still, it seems that the evangelical church has turned in on itself, and rather than fighting the Lord's battles outside and seeking to win souls and build up believers and being a force for good, the world looks on at a church that has turned in on itself and has lost its influence in this world and seems to just lost its power with God. And in many respects, the church is is like Samson in many regards. But whenever we think about the birth of Samson and the parents of Samson, the circumstances concerning it all is of great encouragement. It says in verse number 3 of Judges 13, that the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, that's Manoah's wife, Samson's mother, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not. But the Lord points to a better day. Thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. And we're persuaded that this is another one of these great appearances of Christ before His incarnation in Bethlehem, an Old Testament appearance of the Son of God, a Christophany and we've been thinking about some of these great Christophanies in the Old Testament Scripture, and using the same template that we've used in weeks gone by, notice, first of all, the context of the Christophany. Verses 1 and 2 introduce us to a problem in the nation. Verse 1 says, "...the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord." There's a problem in the nation The nation of Israel in Judges chapter 13 did not have their sorrows to seek. And verse number 1 you see there, the problem in the nation has reference to the ongoing cycle of sin. The children of Israel not only did evil, but it says did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And that phrase comes up several times in the book of Judges, twice in chapter 3. Again in chapter 4, again in chapter 6, again in chapter 10, and it seems that this is a cycle that goes on and on and on in the nation of Israel, especially in the days of the judges. They fall into sin. They experience affliction and chastisement. They call unto God for mercy. God forgives them, raises up a deliverer, and sets them free, and for a little while they do well. And then they fall back into the old cycle and they do evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the problem was really a lack of spiritual consistency. Ups and downs, peaks and troughs, rises and falls. And spiritual inconsistency is a big problem in the evangelical church at large. How many of us have to testify that whenever things seem to turn against us, we call upon the Lord and we ask Him to help us and we maybe confess certain sins and shortcomings in our lives and we say, well, Lord, if you help me and you get me out of this situation or you intervene in my family or you take this sickness or this trial out of her home, I promise that I will read more, I will pray more, I will do better, and we rise up and we draw close to God, and then whenever prosperity comes in, ease comes in, and we seem to fall back into the habits and the faults and feelings that we have confessed and forsaken before, ups and downs, And it seems that this cycle of sin was a big problem in the nation. The children of Israel did evil again, not in the sight of the world or in the sight of each other or in the sight of men or in the sight of the judges that God had been raising up, but they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And what we are in God's sight is all that really matters because someday we will give an account of ourselves before God. How does God view us this morning? Does God see you as an individual born again, redeemed and washed in the blood, walking with God? Or does God see in their hearts and see maybe that we've never been converted at all and we're not really walking with Him? The cycle of sin in verse 1. The second part of verse 1 reminds us of the consequences of sin. The Lord delivered them again into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Their sin resulted in chastening, affliction, bondage. And it seems that as they commit this sin, the Lord delivers them into the hand of the Philistines for a period of 40 years. And you'll know that 40 in the Word of God is a very significant number. Sometimes whenever people study the numbers in the Bible, they can exaggerate or reach conclusions that maybe are unwise or unbiblical. But certainly whenever we think of the number 40, it speaks of a, a season of testing or trial or tribulation or, or even probation. The nation of Israel were 40 years in the wilderness. The Son of God was tempted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And 40 always seems to be in connection with trial and testing and difficulty. And maybe as a believer who's got out of sorts with God, you've been going individually through a time of testing, a time of chastening perhaps, or maybe even a time of bondage and captivity. And you're not really free today. You're not really at liberty to serve the Lord and Maybe it's consequences of sin. The problem in the nation, verse 1. But then in verse number 2, you've got the promise of a deliverer. There was the, or the parents of a deliverer. There was a certain man in Zorah of the family of Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not The pro- parents of a deliverer. The identity of the parents is a man called Manoah and his wife, whose name is not given. But their locality is given. It speaks there in verse 2 that they were of a place called Zora, And Zora literally means the place of hornets, or the place of wasps. And it bordered onto the land of the Philistines. And so it's a very significant name. Because, dear friends, as we get close to the world, it is very easy for us to get stung and for us to get hurt as believers and Zorah, the place of wasps and hornets, bordered onto the nation or the land of the Philistines. And the closer believers get to the world and the closer the church gets to the world, it is so easy for us to get stung and for us to get hurt. And it's very important that we're careful that we don't get too close to the world. Samson would grow up in this place called Zorah. And it's an indicator that in Samson's life, the enemy was never far away. 1 Peter 5 says that we're to be sober and vigilant because our adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The enemy is never far away. So whenever you think about the parents of the Deliverer, you've got their identity, you've got their locality, but you've also got their ancestry. It says that Manoah was a man of the Danites. That is to say, he came from the, the tribe of Dan. And the title for the tribe of Dan, it literally indicates judgment or judge. Back there in the book of Genesis, chapter 49, before Jacob was called home to glory, he sat up in his bed and he called his sons around his bed. And one by one, he spoke to all of his sons and he made prophetic statements concerning the tribes that they would represent. And whenever he came to Dan, his son Dan, and the people that Dan would represent, he says in Genesis 49 and 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And that statement was not only prophetic of the tribe of Dan, but also prophetic of Samson, because Samson was from the tribe of Dan, and Samson was going to be raised up to be a judge in Israel. But sadly, the tribe of Dan was also a tribe that was predicted to be a tribe that would backslide. It says in Genesis 49:17, his rider shall fall backward. Dan shall be a serpent by the way an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. And if you trace the history of the tribe of Dan, you'll see that Dan as a tribe was prone to going backwards and Falling backwards and again we see that typified in the life of Samson who perhaps should have heeded the warnings and listened to those prophetic scriptures away back there in Genesis 49 and taken the warning to heart and been sober and vigilant and realized what he was by nature. It's easy to sit under the sound of God's word but not really listen. It's easy to read the Bible, but not really take it to heart. It's encouraging to lift encouraging verses out of Scripture, verses of comfort, and take those to heart, but maybe not bear in our hearts the warnings of Scripture as well. So as you think about the parents of the deliverer, you've got their identity, their locality, their ancestry. But as you think about Manoah's wife, you're also reminded of her infertility. It says, his wife was barren and bare not. And sometimes in our Christian walk, work, and witness, we often feel our barrenness. Sometimes we feel so unfruitful, perhaps. Maybe you've been praying for years and it seems that your prayers are not answered. You've been serving God faithfully and it seems that you're barren and you bear not and it seems that there's very little fruit for your labors and we are living in a day of barrenness in many levels. We have to acknowledge with the hymn writer that our service for God has been barren and dry and barren it shall remain until we are blessed with fire from on high and sound of abundance of rain barrenness sadly in Israel was often uh, typical of reproach and I'm sure that Manoah's wife this barrenness weighed heavily upon her hearts but she was helpless to be able to change it she was unable to change the situation that she found herself in and there's none of us that in and of ourselves can really bring forth fruit unto God. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus declared without me, ye can do nothing. And so as we think about the opening verses of Judges 13, there's a lot there in the context of this Christophany that maybe speaks to us about where we are as a people and where we are as a nation. But notice as we move on to verse number 3, the characteristics of the Christophany. Now note that these pre-incarnate appearances of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ always carried with them special words of comfort, counsel, and encouragement to individuals who find themselves in tremendous need. And we see that whether it's Jacob, or Hagar, or Abraham, or any of the other individuals that we have considered, all of them had specific and distinct needs that only God could meet. And yet the Lord came and met them at the point of need. And so in verse three, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared uh, unto the woman and said unto her, and there you have the proclamation of the messenger, because The title, the angel of the Lord, really means the messenger of the covenant. And he brings this message, this word to Manoah's wife. It was a word of encouragement. And oh, that God would encourage your heart this morning, wherever you are in life's journey, you might have made mistakes. You might feel barren and dry. You might feel discouraged. You might look at our nation today and think about the sin that's in it and how powerless we are to turn a nation around. But who oh, whenever the Lord comes and speaks to our hearts, He often comes with words of great challenge and words of great comfort. God had a word for Manoah's wife and ultimately from Manoah as well. And I believe a word for us here this morning, as you think about the proclamation of the messenger, you see there his introduction, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared. And that indicates that the angel of the Lord came unexpectedly, and came very suddenly. And that's often the Lord's way. He comes to us maybe whenever we're not looking for it or even expecting it, and I'm thankful for that. There's an old hymn in our hymn book, and it says, Sometimes a light surprises a Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. And the idea is that sometimes the Lord comes suddenly, and he comes surprisingly, and here's Manoah's wife, and she's barren, she bears not, and then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears to her in the appearance of a man. Because you read later on down the chapter there in verse number 11, Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man. And it's the same angel of the Lord that appeared to his wife a little bit earlier on. So this was not a dream. This was not a vision. This was a physical manifestation and appearance of the messenger of the covenant himself. And it seemed to have happened very suddenly. So you've got his introduction, but also his identity. We know that this was the Lord himself because in verse number 22, Manoah says unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. This was a physical manifestation in human form of the very God of heaven, the God of Israel. And Manoah was terribly afraid because he knows no man shall see God and live. And God now has manifested Himself to Manoah and his wife in such a way that the majesty of His glory is to a large degree veiled and hidden. And they see the Lord, and it says then as well, in verse number 18, whenever they ask him, what is thy name? The angel of the Lord in verse 18 says, why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? Now, if you have a marginal reference Bible there, there might be a little footnote that that word secret can also be rendered wonderful. And it is rendered wonderful in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, speaking of the Messiah. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the Government shall be upon His shoulders. And so the angel of the Lord is God, and the appearance of man and His name is wonderful. And it's wonderful that the Lord appears to Manuah's wife. It's wonderful that the Lord speaks to her. But friends, it's more wonderful still that the Son of God came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And even here in a meeting like this this morning, the same Savior, the same God can speak into our hearts and into our lives. Then you've also got His intimation. The angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman And said unto her, Behold, now, presently, behold, now thou art barren, and bearest not. This is how it is with you now, presently. But he points to a better day and looks forward and says, But, and there is one of those wonderful buts in Scripture where we are introduced to a situation that is dark and hard and difficult. But the Lord intervenes and steps in and intimates, but things are now going to turn around and things are going to change. But thou shalt conceive and bear a son. God spoke to her that day. Wonder when, the last time you were conscious of God speaking into your heart and into your life. Things are maybe dark for you this morning, things are maybe dark in our nation today, things might be discouraging in your own circumstances. Your life might seem barren. Your circumstances might appear to be fruitless. And you find maybe you're discouraged in the things of God. But whenever the Lord comes with a word to your hearts, it's often speaking of a, a new beginning, the dawn of a new day. But thou shalt conceive and bear a son. I was greatly encouraged a week or two ago reading in the prophecy of Isaiah Chapter 54, it says in the very first verse, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. Thou that didst not reveal with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, strengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles. And if you read down through Isaiah 54, wonderful encouragements to the nation of Israel, but wonderful encouragement to the Christian, the child of God, as well. And oh, that God would encourage our hearts in these days. We feel our barrenness and the darkness of the nation. Maybe discouragement has gripped your heart. But have you ever noticed in the Bible that the barren wombs always seem to give birth to the best sons? And those that were unknown and those that were barren living in barren days, often gave birth to the best sons, whether it's Sarah, or Rachel, or Elizabeth, or Hannah, or Manua's wife, or even the virgin Mary herself. Barren wombs give birth to the best of sons. And I trust that God will encourage your hearts and Lead us into a better day. The proclamation of the messenger. Notice as well the peculiarities of the Nazarite. Verse number four, Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink no wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite, unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Samson is to be a Nazarite. And the verb that we get the word Nazarite from, it literally means to separate or cut off and consecrate and set aside for a sacred use or purpose. And Samson was a Nazarite. Not a Nazarene, but a Nazarite. Sometimes people say Jesus Christ was a Nazarite because they take up the words of the hymn, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. A Nazarene was a person from Nazareth. A Nazarite was something else. The Nazarite vow is seen in the book of Numbers chapter 6 for the first 21 verses in great detail. The Nazarite vow And the nature of the Nazarite is described in great detail. And it seems to indicate in Numbers chapter 6 that the Nazarite vow generally was a voluntary vow and also a temporary vow. But in the case of Samson, it was involuntary because he was to be a Nazarite from the womb. And it was also to be permanent because he would be a Nazarite right until the day of his death. And there were three things primarily that made the Nazarite distinct. And the the first one is seen in Numbers chapter 6 and verse number 3. And it is all to do with abstinence from wine and from strong drink. That's part of the Nazarite vow. And it's interesting that whenever you look at the Levitical priesthood, those who were ordained to be priests in Israel in Leviticus chapter 10 were to abstain from wine and from strong drink as well. In fact, wine and strong drink were also barred from the, the tabernacle, the temple, and the holy place. And I think that that's good counsel for God's people because we are what the Bible calls a priesthood of believers. Believers. The temple of the Lord. And if we want to be consecrated and separated unto the Lord, I can see that, that wine and strong drink will help us in our course of being faithful servants and followers of Jesus Christ in this world. The book of Proverbs has much to say about wine and strong drink. It says in Proverbs chapter 20 that wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is unwise or not wise. And again, Proverbs 23 and verse 29 ask the question, and I'm sure we can think of many that we know and love who have fallen into this category. Who hath wine? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contention? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds with? Without cause, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, that go to seek after mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. What a question is asked in Proverbs 23, 29. Who hath wounds without cause? Now those might not necessarily be Physical wounds, they might be emotional wounds, mental wounds, circumstantial wounds, without cause. They wouldn't have happened if wine and strong drink hadn't been introduced into the life and into the home and into the family. I can think of members of my family who went to an early grave because of the wine and the strong drink. And now we're told in evangelical circles that you can't be an effective Christian unless you're sipping at the wine and mingling among that sort of circle. Who knows, but you could give somebody a glass of wine or a strong drink, and that could ruin and destroy their life completely. Some people boast, well, I can handle it. Maybe you can but as your son or daughter or children or grandchildren or brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors, can they handle it? Does it glorify God? I think it's noteworthy that this man, who's going to be a force for good, was to be separated from the wine and from the strong drink. And then also, his hair was never to be cut. A razor was never to come upon his hair. Now, some have the idea that the longer Samson's hair was, the bigger his muscles were. Do you ever have these pictures of Samson and maybe a children's Bible storybook? And you've got this guy who's built like a, like a he's got a, a frame like a whale's tail, narrow waist, and huge, big shoulders an enormous chest and biceps and huge big strong legs and he looks like he's on steroids and he's drinking protein shakes 24-7 and eating chicken and broccoli and all of these things and never out of the gym. Well, Delilah said to Samson one day, tell me what is the secret of your great strength? And I take that to mean that as she looked at Samson She couldn't say, well, it's obvious you're strong because you're so big and so muscular and you're always exercising and you've got a great diet. As people looked at Samson, they couldn't understand why he was so strong because I, I just take that to mean he looked like anybody else. But the hair was a badge of his consecration. And the secret of his strength was in his consecration and separation unto God. And the long hair was a badge of that. And as people looked at Samson, they could say, there's a man with the seven long locks separated unto God. And the Lord has endued him with power from on high. And it was an outward sign of an inward consecration. And then he was to touch no dead body either. You see, the Lord was to come first in his life. And the Lord says, He that loveth father and mother and brother and sister more than me is not worthy of me. Notice verse number 4, as we thought about the peculiarities of the Nazarite. Notice in verse 4, the precedent set by his mother. The angel said unto her, Now therefore beware, and I pray thee, drink not wine, nor strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Now she was not called to be a Nazarite per se, but she was certainly to be careful as she carried this child that she didn't allow anything into her body that could hurt or harm the little one that she was carrying in her womb. And I think there's scientific Evidence to say that parents that drink and parents that smoke and parents that take drugs while they're carrying a child in the womb can have a a detrimental effect upon the child that they're carrying. But there's more than that here. This woman was called to be an example to her son of what it really meant to live a a separated life, although she was not a Nazarite per se, but she too was to lead by example and with all of Samson's faults and all of his feelings. He would never be able to point the finger at his mother and say it was a a lack of consistent testimony in her life that caused me as an individual to go astray. Parents can be blameless, but their children might not necessarily follow suit. But it is our responsibility to set the precedent of godliness in the home and in the family. The Word of God is very, very solemn in the book of Ephesians, I think it is, where it calls fathers not to provoke their children to wrath by a lifestyle that is inconsistent with their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. What sort of example, parents, do we set for our children? If your children followed in your footsteps, would it lead them to a quiet place, a quiet time with God? Do your children ever see you reading the Bible? Do they ever hear you pray? Did they see that you're living a life separated on the Lord? If they followed in your footsteps, would it lead them to the gospel service? Would it lead them to a prayer meeting? Would it lead them to be a faithful Sunday school teacher or a faithful outreach worker or a faithful ambassador for Christ in the workplace? What do our children see in us? Samson's mother set a good precedent for her son. The story was told years ago of a, a man that went out on a snowy day to the pub to get drunk and drown his sorrows. He wasn't long sitting at the bar stool with his friends, and they had left the house, and the snow had come on. And he turned around and all of a sudden he saw his little boy. He was about six or seven years of age standing beside him in his slippers and dressing gown and pajamas. And his dad said, Son, how did you get here? And he says, Dad, I just followed your footsteps from the house through the snow and it brought me here. Daddy, would you come home? If our children follow in our footsteps, where will it lead them? Will it lead them to heaven? Or will it lead them to hell? And then in verse number 5, you've also got a prediction of Samson's calling. It says at the end of the verse, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. And Samson began, but whenever you look at his life, he didn't always seem to continue in that vein. It's not always how we begin. But it's how we continue, and it's how we finish, that really counts. Paul writing to the church of Galatia says, Ye did run well, but who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth, or having begun in the Spirit, will ye now continue in the flesh? And many, like Samson, begin well, but maybe they never reach their full potential as Christians. They don't continue on. Or they live the Christian life in fits and starts, highs and lows. Friends, time is gone, but three points to leave you with. You can consider these yourself at a later time. The consequences of the Christophany. Verse 6 speaks of the reality of her experience. And she came immediately and she told her husband, saying, a man of God came unto me. And she just relates the reality of her experience. And she's had a real authentic experience of God in her life. I once read a little statement that says, you cannot teach what you do not know and you cannot lead where you do not go. And there's nothing in all the world that has as weighty a testimony as the reality of experience. Some have received maybe a second-hand Christianity. Christianity. Whenever the Lord stood before Pilate and Pilate accused him, the Lord said, Sayest thou these things of thyself or did others tell it thee of me? And there's wide application in that statement. Are you saying this because you've just heard it from somebody else and it's been passed down from you? Or is it your true testimony and your real experience? There's the reality of her experience. There's also the radiance of His countenance. Verse 6, he says, His countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. Now the word terrible there, it literally means awesome or majestic. His appearance was awesome. It caused me to revere him and fear him. And she comes to understand that his origin is holy and his origin is heavenly. And she is filled with a sense of awe and wonder and praise and majesty as she sees something of the Son of God coming and visiting her. Oh, that we would see him today as he really is. And he would worship him and serve him with awe and majesty. And then lastly, in verse 7, there's the repetition of her assurance. Behold, he said unto me, Thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Drink neither wine nor strong, drink neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And she repeats the assurance that the angel has given her. And I believe that she did that with joy and with enthusiasm to her husband. The angel of the Lord came and spoke to me. And this is the promise that he gave. And this is what he said. And I want you to know this is the good news that I have received. And she relates her story. She had been given good news. And she wants to share that good news with others wonder, will we share the good news of the gospel with others? And the good news that she is sharing is the good news that a deliverer is coming. Now, Samson had faults, and Samson had failings, and Samson made mistakes, but he slew in his death more than he slew in his life. And we have a Savior today, a deliverer, who is without fault and without feeling, And through his death upon Calvary's cross... Secure the, great multitude, the salvation of a great multitude that no man could number. And friends, it's good news. And we have heard His voice. And the Lord has met with many of us. And the Lord has been good to us. Why not go out and tell this world of ours, especially at this time of year, about the Savior that came to set people free. May God
0: bless you and encourage one and all this morning.